0: Hey guys, heads up. So this episode, like all the Friday episodes, was recorded earlier in the week. We're going to go into information about this debt ceiling fight, but there is news that you should know about before we go into it. And you don't email me saying that I missed something because I did it, right? I did miss it, but it's because we do it early. Anyway, Mitch McConnell has blinked and... He has offered to extend this debt ceiling fight two months. There's still some wrangling on exactly what that's going to look like. But effectively, Mitch McConnell did cave for now. Democrats are still saying they're not going to use reconciliation. Everything else in here is totally legit, but uh, it is not the latest news. So that's the latest news. If you want much more about it, then uh, I would suggest if you are not already to join our Patreon at takepoliticsseriously.com. The Thursday episode goes into all the news uh, in in detail. Uh, So if you are a patron, make sure you go listen to that if you're interested. And if you're not, go ahead and join. The rest of the episode is totally legit. So let's go ahead and get on into it. The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for October 8th, 2021. Ro-Pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you here at the edge of the financial world. Yeah, the debt ceiling. Uh, uh, The latest crisis in what has turned into a crisis factory for uh, the Biden administration I mentioned this a little bit at the beginning of the Wednesday episode, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper today as well as some of the options that are being explored now and may or may not even be resolved by the time that you guys hear this on Friday. But we will go over the general plays and some of the strategy that is being employed, including some that I think is being very, very underreported in terms of this debt ceiling. Also, there is some chicanery (laughs) in Idaho, and it's not just an intra GOP slugfest. No, it's indeed a campaign. Oh, you know it when all the craziness leads back to an election day. That's my friends when we feast. Also, we will have a great conversation. About the land down under, Australia. We we did a little uh, segment on this a few uh, uh, episodes ago, where we we looked at Australia's COVID policies, and I kind of wondered aloud, really, where is the uh, uh, where is the trade off between keeping people safe, which Australia has, by every objective measure, done. Not a lot of people have died in Australia relative to Europe, relative to America, relative to anywhere, and they have had the most restrictive lockdowns. They are now a year into this. They just had a bit of a spike, despite the fact that they have had these lockdowns, and now they are vaccinating at a pretty fast clip. So we're going to get a lay of the land from somebody who's actually there. Supposed to just me bleeding uselessly into my microphone. All that. Bird first, debt ceiling debt ceiling if you don't the world's financial markets will collapse oh yeah okay so this thing happens every so often it happens multiple times in presidential terms some presidents have raised the debt ceiling more often than others there's usually the same conversation that goes on around it why are we leaving this up to an act of congress Uh, why can't we just permanently raise the debt ceiling blah 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 Let's actually take a step back and explain to you what the debt ceiling really is. The debt ceiling is the limit by which the government says it can borrow money so it can pay its bills. Should we not raise the debt ceiling and therefore put ourselves in the danger zone of defaulting on some of these things, we hurt the full faith and credit of the United States. Now, that might sound a little esoteric, but let me put it in more of a real-world context and emphasis on world, because this is a global issue. There have been global financial collapses when industries, certain industries, mortgage is a great example, have gone under, have shown instability. That, therefore, affects the banks that loan them the money And we have a chain reaction as those banks, which borrowed money from other banks, now are in a bit of a pinch. So, what happens when it's not an industry, but rather a superpower that shows itself to be not quite financially solvent by way of its own actions? That it has allowed politics to get in the way of the money? what kind of global financial catastrophe could that cause we don't know but we know enough to say we probably shouldn't want to find out janet yellen the treasury the secretary has said or secretary of the treasury easy for me to say has said that we will get to that zone on october 18th so where are we now politically the republicans have said we are steadfast we are not helping you raise This debt limit. They've been saying that for months. The Democrats on the other side have been saying, nah, you're lying. Fibbers, fibbers. And they've busied themselves with all sorts of other things, uh, uh, up to and including Afghanistan border and then fighting with each other when it came to reconciliation and the hard infrastructure bill. But now... We're in crunch time. On Wednesday, there was a vote to raise the debt ceiling. And that was blocked by the Republicans. They are united on this. And even some of the wishy-washy ones that you, you might figure could be swayed over the to the Democratic side, like Mitt Romney, have had iron in their spine on this particular issue. Why? Here's why. And it's not just as simple as Republicans wanting to sow chaos amongst Joe Biden's term. While that is an ever-present thing that will always happen, the all right, there there's the outward reason that the that the Republicans are saying, and then there's the internal motivation. Let's start with the outward. The outward is whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't need Republican votes when it came to. The COVID bill, even though every other COVID bill that had happened up to that point had been bipartisan, you went through reconciliation on that. You initially didn't even want to deal with us when it came to hard infrastructure. Eventually, Cinema and Mansion had to get involved for you to take us seriously. And even then, you hung that up to dry because you need to do reconciliation for this other gigantic bill that we initially even signed on to the hard infrastructure thing, thinking that it could be two separate bills. But now you're saying it's one bill and you want to do this other one through reconciliation. So if reconciliation is good enough for COVID and it's good enough for the BBB and you love it so much, why don't you marry it? How about you marry it by going and raising the debt ceiling? Because we're not going to help you now. That's what they're saying out loud. Here's what their internal motivation is. When you raise the debt ceiling, you have to raise it by a certain amount. You've got to name how much you are raising that debt ceiling. And so the Republicans very much would like for the Democrats to put a gigantic honking number on that debt ceiling raise because you can only imagine the ad that will follow. Let's say that a year from today, we are in a not great economic situation. Inflation indeed has happened and Biden has passed two of his bills. Every single vulnerable Democrat will be facing advertising in their market that sounds a little something like, what does Joe Biden do when the economy's in trouble? Funds AOC and Bernie's socialist revolution by raising the debt ceiling by $10 trillion. You should vote for this other guy. That's what they want. They want the Democrats to put their name on it. So, what are the options that the administration has? Well, the most obvious is to just trigger reconciliation to raise the debt ceiling. Yes, it's giving in to the Republicans, but they also do have to raise the debt ceiling. You don't want to be the administration that is trying to push through anywhere between three and seven trillion dollars worth of social spending and also isn't able to operate the mechanisms to literally pay for it. The second is to convince the Republicans or call their bluff that indeed the party of quote unquote fiscal responsibility will eventually give in and vote for it. It seems like that's the strategy that they're using right now. And it doesn't particularly seem like it's working. In fact, I think it's kind of an ugly look for Joe Biden to be saying that there's a meteor streaming toward our financial world and that we face an extinction. That was a quote he actually said. Here's one that I'm going to extrapolate. If an extinction level event is coming to our financial market and then a reporter asks you, can you guarantee that this debt ceiling will be raised. And he literally passes the buck to Mitch McConnell, therefore making him the assistant to the general manager of the minority party's leader. Oh boy, I get it as a Senate strategy. I get it for Schumer. I don't get it for Biden. I think it makes him look like a weak bystander. And if you are trying to be the doomsayer, Boy, is that not a good look when you are the the big man on campus. Now we get into the controversial areas. Because there is another way that you cannot have 60 votes and you can pass the debt ceiling. And that is ending the filibuster. Oh now all the progressive ears perk up. Now it wouldn't have to be a full repeal of the filibuster. No 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 no. No 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 no. Yeah, it's small, so small, small, small carve out, barely there. Oh just a just a chip like just a little chink, like oh, take that out of the filibuster. It would just be for the death ceiling just before the debt ceiling. Now, no, no, now, now. now, now. Ah, cinema, mansion, you got to go along with it. You need all the Democrats to vote for it. But it would be so small. We would only use it for the debt ceiling. I swear. Sorry to be crude, but I'm going to imagine that a majority of people who are listening to me right now, and uh, uh, parents, or sorry, kids, don't ask your parents, just let life take this, uh, take you on this journey. But at some point, somebody has said, it'll just be the tip. (laughs) And we all know how that ends. It ends with the entire filibuster going away. If you use it for the debt ceiling, why not use it for voting rights? And if you use it for voting rights, why not use it for abortion? And if you use it for abortion, why not use it for guns? Because all the issues that I mentioned after the debt ceiling have one thing in common. They are knowable by the general populace. Those things actually raise money and get votes. Abortion, gun control, and voting rights. In fact, they do it on both sides of the aisle, depending on how you talk about it. The debt ceiling, not so much. So if you're going to use it for that, you're definitely going to use it for everything else. And effectively, the filibuster has gone. I don't think that's going to happen. Manchin and cinema have said that even with this, they are definitely not for removing the filibuster. So we're probably, uh, 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 th- th- that tool is off the the Democrats' uh, plate for now. Also, we tend to think that only cinema and Manchin are for uh, keeping the filibuster in place because they're the ones that talk about it. But you can probably guess it's more than them that would actually need to get on board. So. What's going to happen? I think that McConnell boxed the, Republic, or boxed the Democrats in. They boxed Biden in. They boxed Schumer in. And to be totally frank, I think that this is yet another example of why Chuck Schumer has been a total, total disaster this term. I mean. I really don't know if you can say that he has made a lot of smart moves here. And and I don't know whether this was maybe he's been coming to Biden and saying, yo, this is a problem. We need to do something about it immediately. But he sure hasn't publicly messaged that. And I think the idea of assuming that you could call Mitch McConnell's bluff is a bad idea when at the end of the day. You're the party in control of the House, the Senate and the White House. Like. You're the ones who have to do something. If something goes bad, it's your fault, no matter how much the assistant to the regional manager wants to blame it on Mitch McConnell.
1: Another clash between the state's top two leaders. Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan once again made some big moves in her role as acting governor while Governor Little is out of state. Yeah, the governor's office responded saying he would undo any actions taken by McGeehan in his absence. First, McGeehan issued a new executive
0: order modifying a previous order from Little that had banned so-called vaccine passports. She added K-12 through schools and universities to the list of public entities that cannot require proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test from people accessing public services. McGeehan also shared on Facebook that she, quote, fixed Governor Little's executive order. Here's a story that you might have heard of. In Idaho, the governor left the boundaries of the state. And so the lieutenant governor decided that she was going to issue some executive orders. The governor says, I'm going to rescind all of those the second that I get back into town. And he did. Now, some of you might remember this story from back in May. Indeed, the governor of Idaho, uh, uh, Governor Little, went out of the state. And the uh, lieutenant governor, McGeechin, uh, uh, issued an executive order banning mask mandates. That Little eliminated when he returned, saying that mask mandates were best left to local officials. By the way, Little had never issued a mask mandate himself. Well, McGeechen was at it again this week. Little left to go uh, confab with other conservative Republican governors to talk about the southern border. And while doing something that is fairly sufficiently right-leaning, McGeechan said, hold my beer. I've got something even more starched conservatives. And so here's what she did. She uh, uh, put in forth an executive order uh, that banned the ability for any private business to mandate a COVID-19 vaccine and commanded the Idaho National Guard to the U.S. border of Mexico. Little said very shortly that he was going to uh, he was going to rescind both of those executive orders. So beyond this just being an LOL Idaho kind of story. What is important to know here is that, number one, the lieutenant governor and the governor do not run on the same ticket in Idaho. So that means that they don't necessarily have a tremendous amount of loyalty to each other. The other thing you need to know is that in 2022, there will be a gubernatorial election in Idaho. And the third thing you need to know is that among the top two candidates on the Republican primary ticket will be. Little, the incumbent governor, and McGeechin, his lieutenant governor. Meaning, meaning that what you saw in May and what you saw this week are not just uh, 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 questions about the, the constitutionality of the powers that the lieutenant governor has, but rather they are campaign events. This is McGeechan's way to draw a line in the sand in a Republican, a very Republican state uh, to say that this is a rhino in office. Little does not have the stones. When he was asked to capitulate to all the mask and vaccine hysteria, he indeed bent the knee. Granted. For many of us listening in many other states, red and blue, nobody would look at Idaho and say, oh, my God, this is covid uh, uh, restriction craziness run amok. Despite the fact that it is near Washington, Oregon and California, it isn't exactly a place where you would imagine that, that that Governor Newsom would find restrictive. And yet. Politics are politics are politics. If you need to draw a line in the sand between you and your opponent, you do it however you can. That being said, this is a, this is a little bit extreme. This is a bit extreme. Waiting until effectively forcing your governor, who you are theoretically in service to, To remain in the state so you don't start just doing random things and uh, issuing executive orders uh, that then have to immediately be rescinded is a bit of an aggressive play. I don't know if Idahoans are going to look at that as somebody who is absolutely sticking up for what is right or an absolute crazy person doing silly sauce things that effectively just boil down to her getting attention. It has become a race that I will now be watching very closely. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to support this show, there's only one way to do it, and that is to head on over to Take Politics Seriously. Com. We have seen a surge, a surge in you guys supporting this program, and it is coming up. It's coming up on, on November. It's coming up on, on us, beginning to start to look toward the midterms. Boy, I'm starting to see more and more negative ads rolling our way. Will the Democrats hold the House? Will they hold the Senate? Are Republicans on the march, by the way... A new poll came out and one of the first in a long while showed that Republicans were up on the generic congressional ballot over the Democrats. Even when when Republicans tend to win the House, they are often not ahead on the uh, 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 congressional generic ballot, which is basically asking people, hey, would you like a Republican or a Democrat just in general? Not even give give you a name. There's there's a faceless replacement Democrat, a faceless replacement Republican, which one do you uh, approve? Normally in those polls, the Democrats are ahead. Not so much this time. By the way, that was at the cornerstone of our boy uh, uh, Scrimshaw's uh, 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 reasoning on why the Democrats might hold the House was because they had a dominance in those congressional ballots. So we'll see how they go from here. Anyway, now's the time. If you want a full robust year of midterms coverage it's gotta start now trick and treat yourself into four podcasts of px3 a week including the sunday 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 edition which is the first podcast that you should listen to each and every monday morning and the late edition uh this friday edition gets recorded earlier in the week. So that means that our Thursday edition of the podcast is the latest that we cover news. And especially this week, you know, anything that happened Thursday and Friday is not something that we talk about on, on the Friday edition because we recorded early. But the Thursday show. Mm, that's where all of those hot takes go. Head on over there right now. Take politics seriously. As many of you know, through COVID, I've been obsessed with understanding the reaction and results of different countries to the virus, specifically trying to figure out what is caused by government intervention and what can be attributed to cultural tendencies. Here in the U.S., predictably, we've been pretty go big or go home. Regulation that's spotty, varying by state to state and sometimes even by town to town. And yet, through government intervention, a historic rush to therapeutics and vaccines. Our cultural disdain for regulation curtailed or uncaged, while our government's ability to help speed along a cure has paid off dividends, not just locally, but around the world. This is best comparable to other countries. Those in Western Europe, South America, Russia, whatever you could possibly believe coming out of the the Chinese Communist Party and the strangest case that I'm not going to lie to you, I've been kind of obsessed with, Australia. The continent slash island nation has a very strict border policy, just ask Johnny Depp's dog, and has successfully kept its citizens healthy at the cost of very strict lockdowns lockdowns that threaten to stretch into their third calendar year. Here to discuss the pros, cons, and everything in between is a man who is on the ground down under, psychologist from CQ University, Professor Matthew Brown. Welcome to the show, Matt.
1: Good morning, Justin. How are you?
0: Oh, man, I- I'm I'm excited to have you on because, as I said here in, in the intro, uh obviously COVID gave a lot of people a lot of time on their hands, and me included. <laughs> so uh, you know, one of the things while trying to sort of understand and gauge where different countries were responding differently to this, uh, you know, you 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 come up with a lot of examples and and you try to not get caught up in the narrative of Various parties, especially here in America, that are going to champion certain other countries as kind of their spirit animals. But the one that really fascinated me the most has been Australia, largely because uh, I've always I feel like Australians and Americans kind of feel a little bit of a kinship, being you know uh, of British colonies that have kind of this very go their own way sort of attitude, and yet. The American reaction to lockdowns has seemed to be different than Australia. And obviously, there's a lot that goes into it. But I will ask you, uh, uh, as finally the American will stop talking and the Australian will, uh, uh, you know, kind of let us know, where do you sense the Australian mindset is in in balancing out health and freedom for uh, COVID-19?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, but first of all, I agree with you. It's uh, I reckon Australians and Americans have got so much in common, and uh, that's that's a cool thing. But we also have this sort of uncanny valley type thing happening in that you know when because we're so similar in many ways, the things that are different yeah can be can be really jarring. And the other thing I really have a lot of sympathy for uh, Americans in is the sense of that information asymmetry in that we know kind of everything about America because it's just all yes. over the social media. It's all over the news and and you guys kind of aren't as well informed as about us. So, no. uh, yes. So, but to get to your question, um, yeah, look, the public opinion on... Um, Covid vaccines and restrictions is quite different from the United States. Um, in general, uh, uh, the main difference is that uh, I guess public opinion in Australia is just less polarized. Um, the two okay. main, the two main centre parties. Um, you know, there's there's the usual political argy bargy, as we say in Australia, but sure. there there isn't like a big ideological difference. And both parties, to their credit, has pretty much undertaken to follow follow the science, follow the experts, that kind of thing. Um, and as a result, um I've seen surveys um which agree with my perceptions, which is that yeah, public opinion is pretty much unanimous. Um people obviously don't want to get Covid, they they don't want an epidemic. They don't like lockdowns or restrictions either. Uh, on the other hand, uh, vaccine hesitancy um, is much lower here, I believe, yeah. than the United States. Yeah. So we're uh, we're gonna
0: get into vaccines in in a second because I do think that that is that's another fascinating element of kind of the differences between uh, uh, the two governments and the cultural elements between them. But uh, I want to go back and ask you something that uh, that I have kind of repeated. As a a, a fact, so if I'm wrong, this is going to be the great humiliating moment where you can tell me that I've been lying for the past year and a half. But one of the elements that I know, and this is slightly through personal knowledge of being around island cultures in the past, is that in general, if you are on a smaller, isolated landmass, of which although Australia is a continent, it still very much is... Uh, uh, its own, its own island, island unto itself, literally, Uh, you have just more infrastructure for things coming in and out of the country, uh, 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 restrictions for like if you're, if you're sick, then quarantining. This is the same with a lot of, uh, uh, you know, other Pacific islands. And and even like if you go to Hawaii, there are just different elements of uh, uh, infrastructure there. How much of the, the the concept of reacting to covid for Australia begins with, hey, we already understand that if an invasive species gets onto the island, it's <laughs> going to be a major problem. We're used to dealing with that. How much is that just before we even start with anything going forward? How much of that is a factor in Australia's policies?
1: Yeah, I think that does play into uh, the psychology of Australia a little bit. Um, I think like on a per capita basis, the infrastructure and the connectivity to overseas is similar in a sense to more populous countries like the United States. Just yeah. everything sort of scaled up, you know. Um, but, you know, we are a long way away from you know most other destinations, um, and I think um, you're right about the mindset. Australia, for instance, with immigration, has has a pretty has a pretty tight border. policy. um, And that's facilitated by the fact there's an awful lot of ocean (laughs) between us and other countries. Because it's
0: easier to do, you know, there's, there's like, it's like, all right, well, like we got to watch the borders. We got to watch certain areas of ocean that are reasonably close to other places and, and pretty much you can call it a day, but, but there is an emphasis on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So what happened with COVID is that it entered Australia in the same way that it entered other countries, yep. you know, via via air travel, um, and you know, you remember what it was like at the beginning. There was the sort of the sort of panic element and um, attempts to to stop it. And Australia went for uh, essentially a zero COVID elimination policy. Yes, um, we tr- we tried to do what New Zealand did, but less successfully. <laughs> um, uh, but but we still did manage to pretty much you know, virtually eliminate it and actually, you know, turn that sort of exponential increase to level it off and yep. turn it down again and, and bring it down um, almost to zero. Um, but then, of course, we, we still had a process of returning um, expatriates coming in you know there was still people flying in even though most travel was restricted and we had a a quarantine process that was based was pretty slack to be honest it was okay. based on you know staying at a hotel near the airport and you know there was no sort of particular procedures they just had um they didn't have like government people sort of you know handling security but it's hired some random contractors to kind of you know look, stand by the door. Yeah. So um because of all of that, there were repeated escapes, if you like, or, or rather, you know, new new outbreaks occurring um all from the um international arrival. So we had repeated uh um, you know, spikes and um in pretty much Sydney and Melbourne was um the, the, the main entry points, a little bit in Brisbane. Um and then repeated kind of um temporary uh, lockdowns to squash that those outbreaks. So most recently, it's been with Delta, yes, um, and uh, that popped up in Sydney first, and, and is still ongoing in Melbourne. And that process is happening yet is, again. Uh,
0: is, is is ongoing. So let's let let's get into that because uh, a you do have. Uh, New Zealand, which which I've I've always heard colloquially is kind of the the California to the Texas of, of Australia, a, a little bit more laid back, uh, a go with the flow kind of area. And they are lauded internationally for the fact that that they have totally squashed covid almost immediately, to which. I would imagine that I share a sentiment with many of my Australian friends to say, oh, it's easy when you're on an island with 11 people on it. Sure. You just make <laughs> sure you all sit at home over a weekend and you can squash COVID. Uh, <laughs> Australia is more populous. It's got roughly uh, uh, you know, just a, a couple uh, a million over uh, our most populous state here in the U.S., California. So, But it's spread out over a gigantic landmass. So there's not... Uh, uh you you have a reasonable idea of doing it but for the lockdowns they start when everybody else starts and and despite the fact that you guys have had a tremendous track record of cases and and deaths it is truly an envy to many other modern countries uh the it doesn't necessarily stop when 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 the delta comes back and now all of a sudden you're at your highest case counts and and uh, some of your highest death counts thus far Give me a sense inside the mind, because I know and, and maybe we're impatient out here in in, in the U.S. of A, where we're, you know, after two months when you watch Tiger King twice, you're like, I need to get the hell out of here. Like immediately, I can't imagine kind of pitching a shutout for so long. And then all of hmm. a sudden it's like, no, 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 everybody back in the house like that's that's got to be psychologically torturous.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, um you know, nobody Anywhere likes lockdowns, and I reckon Australians um, hate them just as much as in, as anywhere else. Um, a couple of things that are important to remember: firstly, um, the lockdowns have not been nationwide. Obviously, they've okay. been yep. they, 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 they're they're localized to the places where the outbreak was happening at all times. So, yep. for instance, and and they they're not ongoing. They they basically would you know started and stop when when the various outbreaks get under control. So, for instance, me, I've been a lucky duck because I live in regional Queensland. Okay. And I've worn a mask over the entire pandemic. First of all, no one has died in this area. Uh, and I've not worn a mask um, maybe maybe five or six times over the entire okay. time so yep. let al- let alone being restricted to lockdowns so it, to to a large degree the people in sydney have been doing it tough to protect people like myself um the other thing that's going on as well as um you know lockdown restrictions and lockdown doesn't mean people are kind of literally locked in their houses right it means it means you're you know you're not allowed to do sort of essentially recreational or um uh, activities you know it has to be necessary activities like going to work shopping getting exercise looking after people you know there's a whole bunch of so, so that would reasons. Be, that would yeah. that
0: would be more restrictive than than in in the states where we would define lockdowns as businesses for which you would congregate are not open but if you're going for a run or 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 hanging out with people outside that is that in generally was 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 understood but but you're saying that if if you want to go play outdoor soccer the somebody might tell you hey get 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 in here are you trying to spread COVID?" <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. That does sound more restrictive. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, So, where was I? Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So, people are sick of it, especially when it's like the third time around. um, Uh So, very much the mindset of the country is when. You know, how do we get out of it? Like, we we know that it's not possible to stay with zero COVID, um, and we know that um, you know vaccines are essentially the only way to get out of this. And so, people are really looking forward to when the vaccine coverage gets to um, 70%, 80%, which is when it's been set as these milestones essentially to to draw back the uh, restrictions. And then we're going to transition to an endemic model. So the other thing to be really clear on is that Um, The best way to understand Australia for an American is that we are sort of time shifted because we went a lot of the pandemic being, you know, footloose and fancy free, um, not having any COVID around. But we also were very slow to get access to the vaccines, Yes. So you know the big players, obviously, and the countries that actually you know developed them tend to be first in line. Australia, you know, has, has cashed up and kind <laughs> could afford to sort of push itself to the front of the queue, but our politicians were um, pretty much stuffed that up. Uh, so yeah. for one reason or another, we, um, we we only got access to the vax to, to good supplies of the vaccines quite recently. So the vaccination, um, so up until very recently, we've had basically an un- an uninfected and unvaccinated population, which is, you know, it gives you a slightly different mindset. Uh, so, but the good news is, is that we're almost there. You know, um, I think uh, New South Wales is, is I think it will hit the 70% double vaccinated um, within a few days. Um, and um, the projections are just within a matter of, you know, maybe a, um, a couple of months we'll, I will get the country will get to over 90% and I think it'll stabilize at 95%. So that's um, at that point, everyone understands that, you know, lockdowns are done when we're, we're moving, we're moving to an endemic sort of management model. All right. Well,
0: let's, let's, let's put a pin in that because I, I do, I do want to revisit that, that particular question. But one thing that has really fascinated me about Australia is the the fact that unlike the U.S., Uh, wherein there was certainly local rule when it came to whether or not a, a Florida's policy on this is going to be different than New York's policy, which is going to be different than California's policy. The one thing that was not established very early on were any kind of conflicts of governors of these states being able to restrict travel between one State to the other. And that was a big fight early on when New York was heavily infected. Florida, which has a lot of New Yorkers coming in and out, said, whoa, 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 we were going to ban everybody coming in from New York. No one's allowed to fly in from New York. And then Governor Cuomo, long before everything kind of went sideways for him, was like, absolutely not. This will be a fight in in court. It seems as if. In Australia, that battle went the other way and the local uh, authorities were able to say, no, we are specifically banning people from these areas from coming into our regions.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. It it just basically turned out the other way. So uh, things like health and police are basically state run. Um, you know, they're the responsibility of the states in Australia, and uh, yeah, they get to decide. You know, that's that's in the that's in the, con- the we don't have a constitution, but it's a, it it's the um it's a set up in law. So there was no there was no option for the federal government to overrule yeah. that. There, there was um, so people would be annoyed by that. Um, obviously, people that wanted to travel, um, the states that were getting sort of locked out, if you like, were very... Um, I the, would imagine that they, they were pretty kids. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, yeah, yeah they, exactly. So it was quite funny, really, because when, particularly between Victoria and New South Wales, so when, when there's an outbreak happening in... Victoria, then you had the New South Wales premier getting on their high horse and going so terrible or whatever. And, and then there's an epidemic the other way. And then suddenly the tables flipped and they're doing exactly the same thing. Um, so yes, yeah, certainly, um, that's different. Um, you know, you can't travel to, from New South Wales to Queensland where I live. And you can imagine what so this is very much a, a sort of a local regional interest first if you if you like like yeah. you can imagine what public opinion is like in queensland like do we do we want infected people coming yep. in from new south wales and then have to go under lockdowns and all of these restrictions of of course we don't so um yeah that's not so much a that's obviously a government thing but it's also pretty well supported by the public opinion in the states. Yeah.
0: You you you're a psychologist, so let me ask you this. Do you think that there is any costs that will be paid after this of certain areas of the country being kind of codified? as as leper colonies that that this is where the infected people came from do you think that there is there's there's any kind of lingering reputation either by city or other other citizens or the government that they were irresponsible or or or, or worse more prone to in, uh, infection for one reason or another
1: <laughs> to be honest i don't think so no i okay. mean For a Queensland, our image of New South, we're prejudiced against New South Welshmen for all kinds of reasons. But this this will just be added to
0: the pile of regular (laughs) regional prejudices.
1: Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So it will not necessarily be new, but but it it might just be the uh, listen to the insults of, of regionality.
1: Yeah. To be honest, I mean, everybody understands that that. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're dirty or something like that. It just means that they're unlucky because that's they're the main ports of entry for returning visitors. And they got the exposure. And um, no, I think think people understand that.
0: That was that was a worry here. I mean, in in America, there's especially with the capital V, capital O, very online crowd. There is no end to to understanding, you know, how. People's, uh, uh, you know, feelings might be heard or misunderstood in in one way or another, and that that certainly has been a a topic of conversation. Is that if we stigmatize that certain people have a higher rate of it, then then that has ongoing uh, a, a effects to it.
1: Yeah, I remember at the very beginning um, when um, there were the suggestions that um, you know travel from China should be. Restricted yes. was 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 sort of a it was the um, progressive opinion that that was a terribly um, prejudicial and sure. racist yeah. kind of attitude to have, which yeah, from from my part of the world, just seems crazy. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's clearly not. Just it's lock just, it, it it's... down. Just let let <laughs> lock it
0: down and move on. Uh, uh, So, so let's get into the vaccine because uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, slow to get it. um, In in fact, I I believe a a friend of mine, I once did a segment uh, talking about America's true privilege of the fact that we had such early access uh, uh, and such ubiquitous access to the vaccine. And one of the countries that I named was Australia, which at that point I think was in single digits and it was not too long ago. And, Uh, I I got a a response of somebody who said that they got the vaccine purely because they they uh, understood. Well, geez, if if the if the Australians can't get it, I might as well do it. Uh, I didn't know things were so dire around the world. That being said, you are now doing a tremendous job in in vaccinations. But uh, uh, where is the decision from government to mandate vaccines?
1: So I think that's still evolving, but in general, my understanding is that the government is siding on the side of vaccine mandates are fine and good. So perfect, they're defending the um, the legal rights of uh, of any employer basically to to require vaccinations as a condition of employment. By the way, Australia has very strict. Um, rules around unfair dismissal, and the, there's the Fair Work Act and stuff like that. Yep. So you, that's kind of a big deal um, for that to be added to, to, added to the reasonably short list of permissible reasons to fire somebody. Yep. Um, and as well as that, uh, I get the strong impression that we're going to go for yeah, vaccine passports of various kinds. So when the travel restrictions come off, and, and even the lockdown restrictions, I, I, I think they're going to you know, being double vaxxed is going to put you, yeah, give give you different privileges, if you like.
0: So you mentioned before, and I've seen the same polls that suggest that there is far less of a polarization in Australia than there is in America when it comes to vaccine hesitancy. Uh, One might think in understanding and knowing that as fact would mean that you would not necessarily have the reason to do mandates or passports because people understand the, the health to it. It, it, Why would you say somebody, if somebody was confused by that, uh, how would you describe those two ideas kind of uh, simultaneously being held that everybody is on the same page, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. also it legally needs to be mandated uh, by employment and by the government?
1: Sure. Sure. Um, so vaccine hesitancy So uh, by the way, um, as you said, I'm a psychologist, and I, as it happens, I I studied vac- I studied vaccine hesitancy, and I've published on it um, for um, many years, uh, long before mm-hmm. COVID came along, actually. So, yeah. um, so vaccine hesitancy in Australia is v- very low, uh, of c- compared to comparable countries, both in Europe and the United States. But that's not to say it's zero. Um, so yeah. you you always have. You know, a few percentage, a few percent who are like hardcore anti-vaxxers, but then you have a broader percentage of people, maybe, I don't know, um, between 10 to 20 percent, depending on the on, on the vaccine and the situation. It's obviously heightened a bit with COVID compared to mm-hmm. other vaccines like needles and things um, who are more ambivalent. You know, yeah. and just ha- you know, have a wait and see kind of approach, and just think, well, why should I? Because um, that you know, there's no COVID around at the moment, so what? Why should I, you know people? That there's a whole spectrum of opinion. So, um, yeah, it's not really much of a contradiction. Um, the vast majority of people are, you know, quite keen to get vaccinated. Um, let's say I probably guess eighty percent. But, and that, you know, remaining 20%, maybe 15% could use a bit of a a nudge, a push. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah.
0: So, so, so then the mandates would be for that 15%. Uh,
1: Yeah. Whatever the percentage is that it ends up. Yeah. Let's Uh, assume, I don't want to pin
0: you down on a a number or anything, but like, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that, that idea, which is, I mean, I guess that, that is, that is interesting to me because if you, you mentioned before that around 70% is where, the the government as of now is saying, hey, look, we hit this level and now we will move to a different strategy in terms of lockdowns. It seems like without the mandates, you could you could you could get there. But I guess better safe than
1: sorry. Mm. Yeah, look, um, so there's that whole thing with um, the um, replication rate with viruses and how it's critically Mm -hmm. important to get that as low as possible and you know it like a replication of one you know just over one so 1.1 can can mean can mean you know versus 0.9 means the difference between the virus completely disappearing and it infecting literally everybody so that's the that's the thing about exponential growth so our our heuristics about The vaccination might be, oh, you know, you know, isn't 70% enough, you know, that do do we really need another 5%? Our heuristic is that 5% extra vaccination is only going to add linearly, but actually that 5% can, if it's, if it's the 5% that brings it from 1.1 to, to less than one. Then it's it's everything. So that's yeah. the whole concept behind herd immunity, essentially. And this is true of all viruses and all um, all vaccinations. Is that you really want that as high as possible? Like it's always better. Like we know that the Delta virus is very contagious. We know that it's likely to kind of keep circulating. That even people who are vaccinated can can get um, yeah. um, um, an infection, maybe a very mild one. And even though their chances of passing on are much lower, it's it's can still happen so yeah. i don't think that the evidence i mean i'm not a virologist i don't i don't know for sure but my understanding is is that you know at this point in time we just know that more is better as close to 100 percent is better as so, possible yeah, yeah. that's and, that's and, that's, that's you know, gonna be the way to go but it also speaks to a difference in um in australian culture and this is what you were getting at earlier on i think mm-hmm. which is that look um we're similar in so many ways but australia does have what they call more of a communitarian type of culture which is like like yeah. putting like it, there's there's no right answer here but there's that there's always that tension between individual rights and kind of everybody pulling together for the team sort of um, yep. community thing and i'm not saying that uh, americans don't you know, aren't community minded, they obviously are. No, that's but, fine. I um, will.
0: I'll say it. Yeah, no,
1: it's, yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. that's our, that's our stuff. We, yeah, we know guys like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but look, like certainly Americans take um, individual rights um, extremely seriously. And yes. in many respects, that's such a good thing. Um, I, I, I was just um, saying the other day that Like, for instance, uh, Australians could take that stuff more seriously in some respects. For instance, um, recently, the Australian Federal Police actually raided the offices of the ABC, our national broadcaster, public Mm -hmm. broadcaster, because they were doing investigative reporting into um, war crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. Yeah. And the Fed the Australian Federal Police raided their offices and seized a whole bunch of documents and so on for, for you know, complicated, murky national security reasons or whatever. Yep. It's a it's a clear. A clear violation, a violation of, print, of the rights of, of, of the press. Yeah, exactly. And Australians kind of shrug their shoulders. Like people don't think it's good, but they may, they don't take, I don't think if that had happened in the United States, I think people would have, well, it wouldn't have happened. And people would have been very upset about it. So uh, on the other hand, when it comes to you know COVID, I, I think a bit more community mindedness is probably helpful.
0: Well, certainly it has tested that particular boundary, no matter what. But we have seen uh, beyond a demonstration of the havoc that a pandemic can wreak on a planet is we have gotten dozens and dozens of dozens of different experiments of where people draw those lines, both governmentally and, as you mentioned, in terms of local culture. Here's my final question. Considering that. And and let me just you know uh, restate again for everybody. I have been about as pro-vaccine as I think anybody that has been on the internet. I sell COVID shots, equals body shots, t-shirts. I very much believe that this is something that the return to normalcy is led through inoculation of vaccination. So I, I don't want this point to be misinterpreted. However, I will say that the Australian governments, uh, local and federal, have been very careful about trying to pitch as much of a shutout as they absolutely can against both disease and death. Should you hit whatever number the, the governments are are requiring for vaccination, and yet in highly vaccinated countries like Israel, like the United Kingdom, and like the United States... You do see breakthrough infections. You do see community spread through that. Do you believe that there will definitely be a a, an an ironclad wall between the populace and further lockdowns? Or do you think that further lockdowns that could happen after vaccinations would be still on the table?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a very reasonable question to ask. Um, there's countries like Malaysia, which are way ahead of us in terms of that vaccinations. They've got mm-hmm. extremely high coverage, and they're in that process of of um, you know reducing restrictions and you know getting the economy going and so on. And they're very much aware that it's not, it's not. <laughs> It's not going to be super simple like I heard an interview with a Malaysian medical expert he described it as sort of balancing these three things they they're trying to keep you know the the load on intensive care units and hospitals yep. low at a manageable level they're they're wanting to reduce the sort of psychological and just well-being impact of restrictions on people and their lifestyles as low as possible and that they're trying to get the economy Going um, and supported yeah. as much as possible. So there's like three balls that they're kind of trying to optimize. And I think um, I think Australia's watching Malaysia pretty carefully because we're going to be doing something similar. I don't think I don't think th- I don't think we could guarantee that there will be no restrictions of any kind um, <laughs> after hitting the um, whatever it is eighty percent say. Yeah, um, and then w- which they they will they will start opening things up. People will start getting back to normal. Kids will start going to parties, and infections will absolutely rise. Um, in the end, that we're going to have to monitor the load on the intensive care units and the hospitals. I mean, we've got much less capacity capacity than the United States, actually, in that regard. Um, so when you have a situation where ICU's are full and people are, you know dying outside or something then yeah. that's just not something the community tends to tolerate um i'm like pr- i think i can guarantee that there's no way that would return to the kind of lockdowns where the kinds of lockdowns now. that you're doing now yeah 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 but i do think it will be a, a juggling act and a balancing act um and you know this is new territory um it's it's kind of a you have to play it as it comes well and that's that's my my
0: my curiosity is that i think both from a community standard and from a governmental standard it really is a shifting of priorities it you know right now the priority which has been stuck with you know, uh, uh, through Australia, even as there are, you know, a uh, pop-up protests here and there and, and things that go viral on Facebook of, of, of what is looked at as authoritarian overreach of, of, uh, uh you know, the Australian police or whatever else, uh, mm-hmm. that is in service of as few transmissions as possible. And if the vaccine yeah. is something where you're going to change that, that definitely is a real core shift to say, no, now we're going to, be okay with possibly more infections and possibly more death as long as it stays under this certain level, which is more in line with how the United States has kind of handled it throughout. But man, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine that that's like a switch that flips where all of a sudden before, where it's like, Oh my God, did somebody sneeze down my block? Uh, you know, uh, I, I might not be able to play, you know, rec league soccer this weekend. Uh, now all of a sudden that's okay. And I can't imagine that that, yeah. that that's something that happens overnight.
1: No, look, and I've, look, there's definitely been a lot of articles written about this in the Australian press, which is the need to make that psychological shift because people yeah. have had that focus on infections and had that focus and that goal of, of zero COVID and keeping it out, you know, keeping it out, keeping yeah. it out, shutting it down. Um, and it's requiring a shift now to saying, well, look, infections are going to, it's going to float around, right? Infections are going to rise, they're going to rise a lot, in fact. But with um the vast majority of people vaccinated, those infections aren't going to matter nearly as much. Yeah. Um, what what we just have to avoid is kind of everyone getting infected at once because of the people, even among the vaccinated, you know, a few, a, a percentage will, a small percentage will require hospitalization Hospitalization and and possibly
0: death. Yeah. And and, that's that's going to be guided by a bunch of other stuff like it is here, but, uh, uh, man, it, it is, it is, it has been amazing to watch it. And it's been great to speak to central Queensland university professor, Matthew Brown, of course, go ahead and listen to his podcast, decoding the guru's as well. Uh, uh, this has been a very, very enlightening conversation. I'm sure everybody is very excited to have had it. But thank you so much for taking time out of your day. What time is it there? This is the hackiest thing ever. But but what, what, what time is it when you're talking to me? Because it's right now it's 540 p.m. local time
1: here in, in Austin. It's eight forty AM here, so it's it's a decent, respectable hour. It's it's. Uh, fine. I mean, look, you yeah.
0: you 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 got on the show before nine o'clock, before before the workday has begun, <laughs> and uh, everybody who's listening to this, thanks you for it. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks so much, Justin. See ya. Politics,
0: politics, 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 politics is written and hosted by me. Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. This show has been edited by Brett Stewart. Please go out of your way to thank uh, Professor Brown for coming on the show. Let uh, uh, I me mean, just let you know, from the central time zone to Australia, <laughs> it is not an easy scheduled job. And so uh, uh, we both had to kind of go out of our way to make this happen. Thank him for doing it at px3guest.com. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. And by the way, Professor Brown came via a listener who is who uh, works on their Decoding the Guru's podcast. So thank you, thank you uh, for bringing that to us. Our Twitter for the show is PX3 Tweets. You can see our live streams at px3live.com. Our podcast uh, page that you can share with friends and family is px3podcast.com. And of course, if you want to get any merch, you can do so at politicsmerch. You want to support us with a one time donation? It is PayPal.me slash pay jury. Our Venmo is Justin Young 20. Our cash app is PX3Cash. And if you'd like to send anything physical in the mail, including gifts, checks, unmarked bills, you can do so. P.O. Box. 153184 Austin, Texas 78715. Again, PO Box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715. That being said, the only place where you can get bonus content of this program is to head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule, and of course the $10 tier Gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. Including Idris as Lanian, DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, Dekinse Aniele, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Blurbus Unum, Pete Spicery, TV salesman from the 70s or Spy, D. Really, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please, dot com junkie, DP4 Bongo, Pop Gold, Jewish Lives Matter, Hundred Mile Runner, Double K Ranch, who's new? Welcome to. The show ranch, ye old pinball shop, John Snuffies off Route 44 Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey Paul, the most conscientious, nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, D laser, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, the gen, Will, J Pink, and Andrew. If you would like your name read. The only place to go ahead and make that dream happen is to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And that will be it for our programming this week. I hope everybody has a good weekend. Looks like the temperatures are starting to drop around the country. Feeling very fall. I I saw a lady on my Twitter feed that unironically was very excited to put on Uggs for the first time. Mm-mm-mm. You love to see it. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Oh.